0: That that is it, isn't it? This is a hard time of year for many of us. We are in particular this year in a hard month. It's been a hard few months. There is so much violence in the world. So much loss. It has been hard for me and perhaps for you to make sense of it all, to find the love and the light among it. Last night as I read popping up in my Facebook feed and then reading more about the killing of two police officers in Brooklyn, you know, your heart just cries out. How long will violence plague our communities? How will we continue the message that Black Lives Matter, the message of peaceful, non-violent resistance? How do we make sense of all of this? And then in personal ways, too, far removed from what goes on around us, the holidays can be challenging. As Karen shared in her meditation, we might have memories of holidays gone by that we either remember with pain or with a joy we now find absent in our lives. The holidays bring back memories of those we have lost. And for those of us with new losses... The first holidays without our loved ones is always especially hard. Or perhaps we struggle with the holidays for religious reasons or non-religious ones, as the case may be. The stores shove a certain kind of Christmas at us, and that might not be our holiday at all. Or our family celebrates in a way we cannot join in with integrity Perhaps the holiday has become commercial and materialistic, or perhaps we're not able to give the gifts that we would like to. We're struggling financially and unable to pay our bills, let alone buy presents. There are reasons enough to struggle during the holidays. Not to mention the stress, the rushing, the exhaustion, the to-do lists that threaten to turn a celebration into an obligation. One of my key pastoral responses when folks come to me with problems or worries or anxieties is to say to them, It's okay to be sad. It's okay to lament. There is a long, proud history of lament in the world, in every tradition and every culture. And it's all right to feel that way, to grieve. To throw yourself a pity party now and then. I had a friend actually who literally threw herself a pity party once. She invited 25 people over. She had been laid off, and one thing after another had happened to her. And so we came over and brought potluck food and had a pity party. We went around the circle and told stories that were piteous about our lives. (laughs) And you know what? Everybody had one. (laughs) Sometimes sadness and grief is such that a pity party won't do it. When it's not really quite the holiday blues, but deep loss, deep grief. And those feelings, they are completely legitimate, you know at the holidays or any time. I want to say that again because I think it's important and we forget sometimes in a community like ours or any community that our emotional responses are always legitimate, whatever they are. We may have work to do sometimes, right, to learn how to regulate them or how to move through them or with them, all of that. But there's no feeling that you can't have. No feeling that's wrong. And no feeling that you can't bring here, too. No matter what the platform topic is or the theme of the month is, you are welcome here with all of you. Whether you are feeling joyous on a blue Christmas platform Sunday or grieving during a festival, You are welcome here. There's no point, really, in having a community like this one if we're only about the joy and up parts and don't have place for the grief. Beyond that, though, beyond the welcome that I hope we have all the time for all emotions, all of who we are, the particular emotion of lament, of sadness and loneliness... I actually think it's a deep and important part of this time of year. It's easy to think about merriment and joy in December. Last week, we filled our tree with the celebrations that each of us had, brought those celebrations into our community. And of course, the stories that we tell at this time of year in our own winter festival, Or in our celebrations at home or in the broader culture, often those stories are full of tinsel and starlight. But you know, every story of this season also has in it something about fear, about scarcity or anxiety. My daughter, younger daughter goes to a Jewish preschool, and I was with her this Friday morning for their Shabbat celebration, and they told the story of Hanukkah. And you know, that's a story that's grounded in a time of deep oppression for the Jewish people, a time of persecution when this little group was unable to be free within the empire. Even in the triumph of the Maccabees in that story, there is still the sadness of the temple's desecration and destruction. Even in the miracle, there is worry and anxiety. And it's part of the larger story, the larger narrative of the oppression of the Jewish people over many centuries. And then in the Christmas story, too, I heard a version recently, which I just loved. It was told in many parts, and it it told the story of Joseph and Mary pariahs in their town. Not yet married, Mary pregnant with a child who knew who was the father. They traveled alone and afraid. Can you imagine nine months along on a donkey? doesn't sound good, (laughs) they traveled alone and afraid and came to Joseph's hometown where his relatives did not welcome them in, where the story of their shame had already traveled ahead of them, and where, desperate, they found a place for Mary to have the baby in the stable lower than animals in the manger. We get all caught up in the Christmas story, in the star and in the shepherds. But you can imagine, too, in that story, that it was a long, cold night before the shepherds appeared. And the story of Jesus, the story of Jesus' life is one of love, but also one of welcoming the stranger, welcoming the forsaken. And there's a saying I've heard among Christian preachers that you shouldn't preach Christmas, the joy of Christmas, without preaching Good Friday too, which is to say that it's all together, that life and that story, that it isn't just a happy little story about a miracle baby what about the whole life and the sadness at the end as well and then the solstice i woke up this morning and lay in bed thinking how annoyed i was that i'd woken so early it must be 4 in the morning i thought to myself it's really too early to get up and continue prepping and preparing and then my husband turned to me and said honey it's 7 Shouldn't you be awake? (laughs) We think of the solstice as the celebration of the return of light, of sun. And that's true, of course. And people have centuries over and across millennia and cultures celebrated that return. But I think there is something powerful, too, in the way the solstice honors the dark, the length, of the night we hold together. I'm interested today in the beauty, the possibility that's found in that long night. The naturalness of that night and the gifts we find there. Clark Strand, an author, wrote in the New York Times just recently about the importance of the solstice and of the dark. He was writing about all of our technology, you know, the lights that can stay on, of course, all night, and our smartphones right by our bed, emitting their sort of little weird blue glow. The way that we fight against the longer and longer evenings. Apparently, more than a hundred years ago, there was a demonstration in a public place in New York City when the light bulb first came out on the winter solstice against the light bulb, which brought us away from the natural lengthening of the nights, and the way that our body fell into that rhythm. Clark Strand wrote, There is, of course, no need to fear the dark, much less prevail over it. Not that we could. Look up in the sky on a starry night, if you can still find one, (laughs) and you will see that there is a lot of darkness in the universe. There is so much of it, in fact, that it simply has to be the foundation of all that is. The stars are an anomaly in the face of it. The planet's an accident. Is it evil or indifferent, Strand asks. I don't think so. Our lives begin in the womb and end in the tomb. It's dark on either side. There's a poetic take on this idea, on the metaphor of night and darkness and the richness that it can bring to us called Let This Darkness Be a Bell Tower. It's by Rainier Maria Rilke, and this translation is by Joanna Macy and Anita Barrows. And I just love the way Rilke puts it. Quiet friend who has come so far, feel how your breathing makes more space around you. Let this darkness be a bell tower and you the bell. As you ring, what batters you becomes your strength. Move back and forth into the change. What is it like, such intensity of pain? If the drink is bitter, turn yourself to wine. In this uncontainable night, be the mystery at the crossroads of your senses, the meaning discovered there. And if the world has ceased to hear you say, To the silent earth I flow, To the rushing water speak, I am. Let the darkness be a bell tower. What, I wonder, would it look like if we sank into that long night If instead of a rush for sunlight, we let ourselves be there in the bell tower. Plant and animal life offers us plenty of metaphors and examples of what it looks like during the long, cold winter. What happens underground. How the roots spread out and the bulbs prepare how the foxes curl up in hibernation, waiting and storing and preparing. There is power there in the dark, in the quiet, even in the sadness, and in our still and quiet response. Every week, it seems, we get a new study about the importance of giving our brains a rest. I read them all, which I think is probably just as good as meditating, (laughs) reading the studies and the articles about them, you know. Every week, we learn yet again, as though we did not know, (laughs) that our brains need quiet, that we need to walk silently, or think creatively in different ways. There's a reason, of course, that quiet is there at the core of every religious tradition, every philosophical way of being. It offers us grounding. And it is to sometimes the only appropriate response to the world. As the world around us has swirled in tragedy and as tragedy begets yet more tragedy, I have struggled, perhaps like some of you, to find the words to respond in the right way. A colleague wiser than I reminded me that sometimes the right words are no words. That sometimes the right response is simply to be, to honor with our silence. I encourage you to come here next Sunday where Trish Weil, who is grounded in mindfulness and centering work, and Tony Nam will lead an intimate platform morning of quiet between the end of Hanukkah and the busyness of Christmas and the beginning of the new year, a time for centering. So where does all of this leave us, the power in the quiet, the power in the darkness? Where does it leave us today, now, here, in the midst still of the holidays? I get a countdown every morning from my daughter, very helpful, how many days until Christmas. Thank you for that. How do we make it through those last few days? Or the few days before New Year's Eve, before the end of Hanukkah? How do we manage a blue Christmas, whether we are bah humbug or blah humbug, or something else? The answer, I think, is different depending on the shade of blue we are. Now, if you are that pretty aqua shade of blue... You know, the one that comes from just too much to do, too many to-do lists, from the extra family obligation that we really didn't have time for and just can't quite manage. If it's that one, the answer is easy. Less doing. Listen. Sit. Take a hard look at your list. I know you have one. Mine is on my iPhone. And cross two things off it. I mean it, for real. And I am talking to myself. There's been a great image going around the internet, the to-do list for the holidays. Give presents, it says at the top, and then the give is crossed out, and the S, and there's a B added, B present. Wrap presents is number two, except it's crossed out and changed. Wrap people in hugs. So if you are that shade of aqua, today, the one that comes from one too many trips to the mall, please consider a revised to-do list that reclaims space and time and love. If you are blue with that shade that the sky turns just before dawn, you know that one I mean? Before the orange light pierces. If you are blue, perhaps because this is always a hard time of year for you, Blue because the days are so short and your brain is longing for a little more light. If you are blue for reasons you can't quite articulate but that you feel settling around you like a blanket, like a weight, then I say cuddle into it. Allow yourself a little time to wallow. Watch a sad movie and cry it out. Or if you're me, just any of the Hallmark Christmas specials floodgates open ask a good friend out for coffee and tell them every single little piece of your woe throw yourself a pity party and mean it and then then listen to the part of the stories that come at this time of year that remind us that the sun might come back remember that the days from here on out are longer every single one of them for months to come Keep your eye out for symbols of hope, for indications that the weight will lift and spring or light or happiness will come again. Seek the pleasures of a quiet holiday. And if you are blue with that color found at midnight, that deep navy blue of grief, of despair, of loneliness, that is another kind of blue. Not one that is solved so easily by a shorter to do list or even by a reminder of the coming light. Although it's still there, that little more sunshine available for each of us. But in that midnight blue, when we find ourselves in that space, and all of us will at some point in our lives, be deep midnight blue. The best we can do, I think, is to reach out a hand in the darkness and find another hand to hold. Sometimes we can find meaning in the blue. Sometimes it offers itself to us, rich and full, the quiet and still in the darkness Sometimes it offers us reflection and creativity, a centering down, and sometimes not. Which isn't to say, in those midnight blue times, that there can't be little moments of grace, little pinpricks of light, little bits of feldspar in the sidewalks. But sometimes it does feel like the world is only midnight blue around us. And in those times when there's no meaning or richness to be found in the long night, then the meaning comes in our gathering together, in naming together what we feel, the depth of our sadness, our grief, our exhaustion, our disappointment, in noticing that there are others around us, feeling what we feel or at least sitting with us while we feel it. We bring to this community our full selves, our authentic selves. And what a thing to be able to do that. And even more, to be in a community where people might even know what it is that we bring, what particular shade of blue we wear that day and why. What a thing to be able to come into a space busy and full the way we are on a Sunday morning and when someone asks to find it in you to answer not, oh, I'm fine, thanks, but to say I'm blue today and to see that recognition, that awareness in the other person's eyes. If this is not yet that place for you or not now that place for you, I hope you will come and talk to me so we can figure out how it can be. How you can find a place to bring your most authentic self. And I do hope you bring it here on Sundays too. To bring your shade of blue, whatever that is, week by week. To bring to your glimmers of gold and silver and red, the little sparkling stars of yourself. Let them be a light and a hope to others. Bring your fiery red and your wan pale gray, your rich and cozy brown, your effervescent pink self, your blue, blue selves. We have room here for all those colors of self, all that we are, and blue is okay.